On CGRU, you're listening to Built to Play. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. Last week was E3, probably the biggest annual event in video games. It's a trade show slash fan event. The biggest video game publishers and developers spend millions of dollars to build these enormous booths. And then they put on lavish press conferences to both wow a media at the event and fans at home. But it's also our best look at the larger trends that are spreading within the industry. And we're going to talk about a couple of them. But before we get into that, we have a guest with us this week, Phoenix Sims. Hey there. How are you, Phoenix? Good. What, uh, what, 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 what are you doing these days? Uh, currently, I'm an editor for Third Person Space in Toronto. So, Daniel, you had a couple. Of, you had a couple of things that I think you, in particular, wanted to discuss this year. Um, what are you thinking of? Yeah. So, kind of the first thing I wanted to touch on was Ubisoft's crazy plan to get fans to work on Beyond Good and Evil Two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the second was the reaction to uh, the number of women protagonists headlining major games this year. And the third is kind of ties in maybe to both of us a little bit, the fact that despite being more politically charged than ever, video games really want to be apolitical. So let's go in order then. We want our fans and people all over the world to really be a part of creating the game. So today, we are issuing an open invitation for people all over the world to contribute their ideas, music, artworks, and create original content that players will experience as they explore the world of Beyond Good Evil 2. So at Ubisoft's press conference, the company announced that players will be able to design various things in Beyond Good Evil 2. Uh, graffiti, songs, all kinds of stuff. And they're coordinating it through Joseph Gordon-Levitt's production company, Hit Record. Whether you're a writer, uh, a musician, an illustrator, if you're a pro-level artist, or if you're just someone who really cares about Beyond Good Evil and that world, and you love it and you want to be a part of it, there's going to be ways for you to contribute. So essentially, you can apply to create art, music, radio skits for Beyond Good and Evil 2. The thing is, it is spec work, and according to Hit Record's website, they only have a $50,000 budget, which is not a lot compared to most major game budgets in, in general. So what do you guys think? Is what Ubisoft is doing okay? Is it going to make the game better? Like, what do you guys think? I mean, there's an opportunity here. I feel like that there there could be the potential for actual fans to contribute. Um, I'd hope that they, they do provide that... Um, I hope that they do kind of provide like actual avenues for people to 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 get better at their work. Like for instance, if there's a, if the goal is 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 collaboration, right? And you have someone who's like starting out in their career or this is a great way for someone to get criticism. This is a great way to get like maybe an editor's touch that they may not be able to get elsewhere. Um so that would be that would be my hopes for the project. Um okay. what about you, Phoenix? Uh I I agree on the point of like, especially for beginner artists like um, that don't really want to make a splash. Like, I think it's it's really great to like challenge yourself, and I think that this project, um, with how ambitious uh, they are, with like even just like the size of the environments that need to be populated with this artwork and everything, there's like a real chance for like a lot of different types of artists to um, to contribute. But I think what uh, I kind of had like a weird. Uh, a weird like sp- split down the middle reaction to it again like what, like what I find was kind of like the norm for me at E3 this year uh, with that proposal that Joseph Gordon-Levitt had where I immediately was like oh that's a that's a good idea like yeah that get get the fans to come in and contribute to this thing put their mark on it and then immediate not immediately but almost immediately <laughs> when I saw other people's reactions to it too I was like but like you're working with like a multi-million dollar company and like you can't like 
uh, well, from what I know from Hit Record, uh, they like to stress the collaboration part of their platform the most. And sometimes that means like, like you guys said, spec work, where you may or may not get paid. And I, as somebody who's been precariously <laughs> a freelancer before, I just don't, doesn't jive well, very well with me. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's a hard, I mean, cause it, I think like as a, if you're in a position of a fan, right. And you, there's just like, my art is going to be on a billboard in a video game. There's a huge, that's like a, I think a huge, like it has its own kind of emotional payoff. Yeah, definitely. But, and I think there's like, there's something real there. And that like, mm-hmm. sometimes you're just the fan. Sometimes you're, you're not looking to get paid. You just, you really like the validity of just having your thing be in this world. And the thing that they've kind of said to justify it a little, like Joseph went up and, um, I call him Joseph because he's my friend. He's your best friend. Yeah, yeah. I, call him, I call him JGL. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jiggles. He, he went up on Medium and had that whole post. On yeah. Like, um, and one of the things he pointed out was like, these are not going to be finished products, hopefully. Right? And so ideally that they're going to be thrown up there and like have some guidance. But I also like totally agree where like, the other thing is, if you really care about doing this as a profession, this is not the way you want to do it, right? Yeah. This is not even like the relationship you want to establish with a company. Definitely. Yeah. And 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 I feel like with a lot of those people that might get thrown out, they might also like immediately question like, but this is a huge project. Like why why couldn't I have my mark in there somewhere? Like, you know, even if it was just like as like, I don't know, some of the graffiti or something or I don't know. It's 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 I, I wouldn't say it's a like it's not a bad idea. But I, I feel I have mixed emotions about it. It's definitely a complicated, like, right? Like, it, it's it's difficult to be like, I think this is really cool. And I love the idea that fans can actually contribute to the game. But it also, remi- like, it, it does kind of smack of like, but are you, what is your contribution worth if they don't deem it enough to pay you? And it's definitely cool that Ubisoft is doing this, and they are alone in this, right? Like, it's not like we're seeing this as a bigger trend. There is some precedent for this, though. If you look at games like uh, CSGO and Dota, people are able to make custom skins. But Valve pays a lot better, allegedly, than Ubisoft does. Uh, Last year, a guy who designed skins in the early days of CSGO says that he made $40,000 off of one skin, uh, and that you make a lot more these days. And uh, a reminder that he was paid forty thousand, and Hit Record's entire budget for this project is fifty thousand. Yeah. So I feel like there is something to be said about like, yes, artists' work and contributions should be taken seriously, but they should also be paid seriously if they're coming from a place of trying to improve your game. Definitely. And some some of the people that are going to be involved in this project are going to probably also think that this is like their way to make it into the industry as a concept artist as well. And if they're not, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm as well informed they might be thinking like oh maybe this is just the norm uh and that could be problematic absolutely or set up a problematic relationship absolutely i mean one thing that's that's fascinating with this is like i think that one of the fears here is that this is like this is small scale like ideally that as we've talked about like murals like 30 second radio hits and may not even like you may like maybe you'll do like a fun joke and then someone else will provide the music it'll go under the radio skit so like Small pieces, but you start doing this like on a more systematic level, and you start to fear that like maybe one day this is just how you're going to crowdsource. Like you're just going to take advantage of fans 
willingness to kind of do anything for these games because these games build like cults a lot of the time. Yeah. Like definitely, yeah. If you think of like the Division or you think of um, any kind of like especially long living game for Honor, um, Rainbow Six, I bet it, like if Ubisoft wanted to try and like oh you can put your artwork on a wall to get destroyed in like a Rainbow Six map, yeah. I think that like <laughs> I don't th- I think you'll find someone who want to do that for free. Yeah. yeah. Um, they shouldn't do that for free. Um, at the same time, I, I do want to point out that like they. I think there is a tendency to go all the way to like, um, like potential cynicism here. Where mm-hmm. I think that they are, they do actually want to provide an opportunity for people. I don't know if they thought it through. That's like, a, and yeah. whether or not they thought it through Definitely, is like, yeah, I agree with that. But I, I just want to pull up another clip that uh, reminded me. Like it was, it was basically after the, they had walked off stage, they'd gone back and. Um, their mics were still on, hey, and you kind of yeah, 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 <laughs> and we kind of got to hear like their reaction. And I think that's really cute. Like it's just a, it's a it super endearing. Yeah, and it, you don't actually get to hear like that kind of reaction from developers that often. No, there, there's a, there was an earnestness there, and I, I I didn't get to catch Ubisoft Live, so I didn't hear a lot of the hot mic stuff. But I, it's nice to know that. There is in like they're not doing this to be like they like they didn't go backstage and it's like ha we got those suckers right like it is <laughs> there's there's an honesty to wanting the games to be better and to having fans to letting fans interact with it and I, I think that is really cool to a certain extent as as long as those people are you know treated responsibly yeah and I think there's like it's as long as they understand that like what they're they're setting up a precedent here yes. and like they I don't think they did in this moment no. um so. It may not be the biggest surprise if user created stuff spreads. Like Bethesda has been trying to make money off of Skyrim, huh? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally right. And they haven't literally asked anyone to make Skyrim yet, but uh, maybe that'll be in Elder Scrolls Six. Yeah, I, 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 at this point with Bethesda and their mod club, I, I, I found, I think I even, uh, I might have tweeted back and forth actually um, during E3 about it with you guys that. Uh, that was kind of my second reaction to the collaboration was was kind of going like, wait, Bethesda did that mod club thing last year and kind of recreated mods that people had put a lot of hours into and then said, no, 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 actually, we created it together. But now we're going to repackage it and, you know, sell it. As Make our money own. off of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, moving on to our, our next subject. Uh, if you listen to the internet this year, E3 was poisoned by women. Uh, the less than savory corners of Twitter couldn't believe the number of women who were headlining games. There was uh, Elle in The Last of Us. There was Cassandra in Assassin's Creed. Uh, there was those two women who I honestly don't know if they have names yet in Battlefield Five. Um, I did miss the EA conference, though. Uh, you didn't miss much. <laughs> there we go. What? So what do you what do you guys think? Is this like? Was it a good faith effort? Is it just nice to see? Is it like, what was it not enough? Was it, I don't think it was too much. I think that's ridiculous and screw those people on the internet. But like, what, what do you guys think of this, I guess, quote unquote, trend towards having more, at least optional women protagonists? I really, I liked what I saw mostly. I, I liked the fact that, um, uh, one, there was a fair amount of, diversity of like the the types of women that they were showing um i i liked the fact that there was actually um believable gay relationships that were being showcased for the most part uh although there was kind of i guess the only thing i noticed which i mean it's kind of a work in progress always with video games is is um 
there wasn't too many like women of color as far as I no. could see. So. I don't think there were any women. There were none. Not really. There were none. It was um it, it definitely there was I can't remember whose tweet it was and I, I wish I could credit them, but there was some there was a very good tweet during E three this year that was uh sorry about all the racism, here's some women. Yeah. Um <laughs> and it's like it it definitely is great that there is, you know, an increased at the very least, you know, presented gender diversity within games, even if it's an option to, you know, play someone else play yeah. a, you know play somebody who presents a different gender than than you might in person but or, or specifically presents as a woman but like it, it is frustrating that all of these games are are still being headlined by fictional white people yeah it's it's kind of uh i especially since i'm a woman of color it's it's always something that it it just kind of it naturally jumps out at you when you're playing uh any game I found that even with games where you create your own, your own character, like something like Dragon Age Inquisition, say, uh, I created my first Inquisitor, and she was um, she was a woman of color. But it was always weird to walk into the room in any scene, and then you realize, like, oh, I'm the only person that looks like this in this room. Uh, so it's yeah, it's 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 a kind of ongoing thing. I've noticed. I mean, it's fascinating. Even when, like, even games with character creators, like, you can make the, I mean, you can kind of make. Kind of, yeah. Make the, the personal color that you're looking to, to do. But, like, the you still end up in this world that is so so built from a white perspective generally that it feels like you, it just becomes, you somehow generated your own token character. Yeah, in yeah. a weird way, yeah. Um, but um, one thing you mentioned was, like, also, there, I mean, this is in more of a positive note. There were more, um, as I said, like, game relationships that looked believable and, like, passable. What what games were you kind of thinking of in that moment? Uh, I was thinking of uh, The Last of Us 2 in particular. Um, it didn't feel... Um, it didn't feel forced. It, it se- it, I felt like the trailer they showed really did seem like they weren't just going, like, hey, look, we... we Got you that it wasn't tokenism. Gave, yeah, it yeah. wasn't tokenism. It, it, it definitely just felt natural. It felt earned. I know that 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 spins off of some DLC they did for the the first game. Yes, um, but again, like it, it's astonishing that like I do not think that this industry five years ago would have spent what how long did that one animator spend on that kiss scene? Like they would like six oh. months. Six months. Like they would wow. not have spent six months on one kiss five, for between two women five years ago. Yeah, definitely. They would just not. wouldn't. And and that I think is a a, a real sign of, of progress for the industry at large. I mean, like hey. This is a thing that we think is so important of showing that we are going to put development essentially on hold until we get it right. Yeah, and then Last of Us, um, that they they opened the conference with that game first. I mean, yes, it, it's also a, a really beloved series for a lot mm-hmm. of people, so I understand why they put it first. But it was also neat that it was a trailer that was featuring a lesbian couple that was frontlining. Yeah. I will say that statements like EA, it's like, listen, our game has women in it, and if you don't like it, don't play it. Yeah. I, there is some, there is some hope. There's like, hey, you know, people are coming at this from the right perspective. Like, we do need to increase representation because it's important that people see themselves in the media they consume, and especially yeah, in video definitely. games, which are, I think, an unbelievable. Like, your experience with a video game is extremely personal, and being able to actually see yourself in it is is so important. It, it's why I think the fact that like. I think back to like Animal Crossing, the fact that Animal Crossing forces you to have a tan that disappears if you want to not be <laughs> white is insane because that is a game that is all about your your personal experience with it. But yeah. 
going back to the the increased representation, I wanted to point out that um, Feminist Frequency did a study on how many games had clearly defined uh, genders for protagonists, uh, and then they separated the games by those presented genders, and they found that 24% of games at E3 this year were headlined exclusively by men, and just 8% starred women as protagonists. Hmm. 50% of games featured the ability to play as either uh, a woman or a man, and 5% of games allowed you to play as gender-ambiguous characters. Uh, In this case, you're thinking about the fox from Tunic, it's not a guy, it's not a gal, it's a fox. And yes. that's okay, be a fox. Um, but notably, those numbers aren't different from the last four years. Usually it's between 7 to 9% for games that star women. And I want to kind of ask, is like, why? I, I think that not just, you know, there wasn't just a reaction of people being idiots on Twitter. It was also a reaction from a lot of people being like, yes, it's like we've had said in this room, like it's nice to see more representation. But factually, we, we aren't seeing more. We're, we're seeing about as much as we did. W- what's the difference, I guess? Hmm. Was there anything that you felt like in, that you felt watching the screen? Like, did it did it feel for you this year like there was a shift? I feel like there kind of was. Like that. That's the, that's the the funny thing is like I feel like there was a bit of a shift. Uh, I think mostly uh, where I saw the shift was just little things like uh, I think previously when they did a demo of it was either a demo or a trailer and it caused like a big stink when they they showed the female version of who you can play Ryder in um andromeda and everyone was going like why did they show the default female character why not you know male Ryder? and they were saying well is it really that big of a deal if we show one or the other in the trailer and you know of course it it does make a big deal um to a lot of people uh and then this year i found that there was kind of a bit of a shift even just in that way there was a lot more um, like Cassandra was showcased in Assassin's Creed Odyssey as opposed to showing her brother that you can choose to be instead, which is kind of interesting because usually if there's an option, they'll kind of go, well, you're going to be Jacob in Syndicate. So, you know, Evie's there, but you're going to be Jacob. I, I think it's really notable too, especially going off the Assassin's Creed example. It's like, this is a company that like, what, five years ago said that you can't play as a woman because women are more expensive to, to animate. animate yeah. So it's like the fact they're like, no, it's here's Cassandra. You can have a relationship with every single person that I think his name is Alexandros can have. Yeah. And it, they're the same. It's the same. You are picking this because you want to play as Alexandra. And, or sorry, Cassandra. Cassandra. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I think that's. That, like I think that's really notable, and I think that at least for me that might be what the shift is. Is that it, maybe the amount of of representation, the sheer numbers aren't changing, but the the rhetoric and the discussion is changing. It feels more genuine, whereas before it definitely felt more like it was coming from that cynical perspective. Yep. Like uh, the the part with like, I th- I think the one thing that, that that does make it feel a little less like, oh, we just need we need to get people mm-hmm. to play these games is because those women are first. It yeah. does make it feel like they weren't an afterthought, which it does feel yeah. like. I think like the early Mass Effect, earlier Mass Effect games where you could play as a woman, they, it wasn't front and center, and it felt sometimes like, an, like sometimes people would suddenly remember, oh right, Jennifer Hale is really good in, yeah. in Mass mu- Effect. She's much better than, than uh, Mark, Mir, Mark. Yeah, Mark Mir, Mark Mir. Yeah, yeah. definitely. She is a much better voice actor than Mark Mir. Yeah, <laughs> sorry to Mark Mir. And most of the fan art is female Shepard. Whenever. I've engaged with the fan base, I, I notice, which is kind of interesting because whenever you see the game or you, if you know people that are playing the game, uh, usually, or at least like whenever it's a guy, it's usually a guy playing Commander Shepard, the guy. Um, but online, it's a different story. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. 
I I do want to take a second to also talk about uh, like gender non-binary characters because I, I brought up the fox from Tunic and that's not a great example because that fox is not explicitly gendering itself any way because it's a fox. It's cool. But uh, there was a great example in the Cyberpunk 2077 demo that was behind closed doors. Armand turned me on to this that some you could you know you could have a really advanced character creator and then somebody asked like you know this is the year 2077. Why is there no option to play as a character who identifies as gender non-binary or a character who, you know, identifies as, as, as transgender in, in some way or the other or bi-gender. And, you know, I, I think the response was like, honestly, we didn't consider that. Thank you. We will like, thank you. We will think about it. But it was just like, part of me is just like, well, why didn't you think about that? It's because it's a bunch of white dudes in Poland. But another part yeah. of me is just like, at least they're considering it. I don't think they'll do anything with it, which yeah. is frustrating. But it, But it is nice to know that at least people are willing to say, we're considering it, not it's too expensive to animate that now. Definitely. There's kind of like a, a bit of a parallel actually uh, with, I believe it was the second season of Jessica Jones. I remember there was some some people in the fan base online saying, um, how come there's not very many um, different races shown in the cast for Jessica Jones? And they went, oh, uh, well, kind of same thing. They were like, we didn't really think about that until it was done. But again, it wasn't out of maliciousness. It was just a lot of white people were working on that show. And it was only until the second season when they got in all those different female directors from all different walks that it started to become a little bit different, I guess. Yeah. I think it's important to like, at the very least, especially given how homogenous all of these companies are, like the, it, it, the tide is slowly changing. But this is still like this is still an industry where, like, you can't calling it male dominated is like an underestimate mm. of like how many men are actually in this industry. Um, so we just miss stuff. So it's important that like they're willing to like accept that these are conversations that are worth having. Um, and that might be just like a good place to start. I mean, Dan, I know you have. Speaking of conversations, I think there's like there's this actually ties in really well to the last thing, yeah. which is which is very specific about this, which is like okay, so games are getting more political and like set dressing and tone, or at least big budget games are triple A, whatever that means at this point. These are games that are now dressing themselves in modern day tropes and and political tropes. At that, we have the Division Two, which is a game about overthrowing a corrupt government in the post apocalyptic America. But the developers definitively stated that they saw nothing political about that. Uh, we saw Fallout 76, which has a complicated set of mixed messages. The Fallout series is about how glorifying American ideals led to nuclear war and the end of the world. The games often point out that trying to rebuild the U.S. uncritically is just asking for suffering. But this newest game gives everyone access to nukes and tells them to unironically rebuild the frontier. It's manifest destiny all over again. And I, I feel like... Outside of, of indie games, which I think we've always gotten indie games like this, but outside of indie games, I don't think we're seeing games think critically about themselves in an era where they're presenting themselves as as reflections of society in, in the in the way that Fallout 76 and The Division and, I mean, even Last of Us. Like, La- Last of Us is a game that went out to make a political message with having two women kissing. Like, whether, that, whether or not they intended it to be political, it, it ended up being in the response and... It, it, I would imagine that Naughty Dog is going to tell you that it's just like, you know, it's not a, this isn't about politics for us or whatever. And it's like, it still is. And, and I guess I want to ask, and, and, and maybe this will be a shorter conversation than the other two. Why, why are games so afraid of thinking critically or AAA games so afraid of thinking critically about what they are and what they do? I 
don't want to give a one-word answer, but like the first thing that came to mind was the money. Like I was thinking, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a marketing uh, thing. I would I would assume to kind of sk- like skirt the edge and be like, hey, you know, like look at this new thing we're doing, and it's it's so great that we're we're getting more representation, or it's so great that we're becoming more political. But they don't actually come out and say, yeah, that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. They they go like, well, there, that'll really get them going like, oh, wow, this seems like, I don't know, Trump's America or it seems like um, like with Wolfenstein. Well, Wolfenstein's more like the Wolfenstein. That's the thing, right? They can say, you know, they, they can say what they said. I can't I can't say the F word on the air, but <laughs> F word yeah. Nazis. Uh, they can say that because yeah. it's it's a safe political opinion for them to have in this space. And there will be people who get mad, but those people weren't going to be buying Wolfenstein anyway. Definitely. But you, you think about like. I just thought about it like Nier Automato is an, is a game that makes a ton of extraordinarily like critical statements, political thoughts about the nature of humanity, about man versus machine. Meanwhile, the same general concept is Detroit Become Human, a game that says absolutely nothing and demands not to be political despite being a horrible take on just racism in America. And I just don't understand. It's like Nier Automata is selling just fine. Yep. That game sold 2 million copies. You just need to be a good game and people will still buy it and not realize you're making a message. It's true. I think the thing that's that's kind of interesting about Nier Automata is that that's kind of something that's been um, not just like in that particular game, but also like across Yoko Taro's work. Like when you look at the, the first Nier even too, there was one, um, one side mission buried in there uh, where you you fight this one boss and it's done and then you come out of the ruins and bring back some some loot to someone or something and then when you play the game a second time through you find out that the backstory of that boss was actually pretty deep and uh, they had like a connection to a human character in that area and uh, when Yoko Taro was asked about it he said uh, some of the messages that are in uh, near are kind of dealing with post 9-11 stuff like mm-hmm. he was saying like he kind of wanted to talk about in a in an oblique way um, you know what what we you know what happens when we start to look at any of our political conflicts from like both sides as opposed to just going like you know this what this side is good that side is extremist and bad mm-hmm. and there's no in between and so it's it's interesting that like he's Yoko Taro has been doing that for for years and and then you still have like I don't know Far Cry Five where they market it as one thing and go, oh my God, it's basically like the worst parts of the Southern states. Um, uh, yeah, this is exactly what you think it is. And then it comes out and they interview the creator and he goes, uh, well, actually, I was just more inspired by Doomsday Cults. Uh, not really. Yeah, not really. Yeah. We make every time you beat a mission, we're gonna have fireworks and American flags waving. And yeah. No one's really gonna think too hard about. It. I guess, I guess the reason I, I brought up this point, and I think you're right that it is the money. But I guess the reason I brought up this point is that after a year of games of Near Automata doing as well as it did and being as critically and commercially successful as it was, and games like Far Cry Five and Detroit Become Human being as panned as they were, just nobody seeming to learn that like people are okay with games that have messages as long as they're good and and, and i guess there's i i guess i i think you're right money's the reason but it it worries me that people are so frightened about just like just make a good game 
and be political, and that's okay. Because, yeah. again, there were so many games that came out last year that were that, that did fine. I mean, one of the things, like, and I, I think that it's fascinating because this works both ways. Like, we, we often talk about this, like, oh, we don't want to ascribe, like, a liberal perspective or whatever that means. But, like, for the most part, you can, this happens with conservative points of view all the time. Like, the uh, as of recording, I think the new, the new Incredibles either came out last week or is coming up um, this Friday. Yeah. Um, and like Brad Bird is a guy with like some pretty Randian opinions about the world. Like in that, like his first movie has that message. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, like he <laughs> makes a lot of sense. If yeah. you remember, like that first movie, like has that line of like, if everyone's special, no one's special, yeah. which is a very yeah. like Anne Rand thing to say. Now I'm not gonna say like. The Incredibles is a great movie, and I always enjoy seeing it. I've seen it, like, multiple times. But that's a movie that's, like, it's the message at its core is individualism. And if we're, and, like, if you ever watch Tomorrowland, this becomes way more explicit, which is Brad Bird's live-action film. Um, but he is way more, he's very, like, thinking about, like, society is run by great people who are pulled down by the dredges, and only once we overcome them can we... Uh, overcome like the pull of society can we really achieve greatness and but like that's still a good movie mm-hmm. um if video games want to go down that path and like become political there's like a lot of different avenues for a lot of different points of view I, but i also think like we should probably think of it as the fact that we're at a point where we're talking about do these games have politics over how many guns does this video game have <laughs> is like like yeah. as a, this conversation would be totally absurd 10 years ago i mean 5 like, years ago 5 years ago and like not to say that those games weren't political everything is political but the fact that they have there's a level of sophistication where this is like something we're griping about yeah. is is almost like a is a great is a good place to be in and hopefully it does change with time all right. Now that we've complained about video games enough to get our games journalism credibility badge, uh, let's talk about what we actually did like about E3 this year. So um, I don't, I don't really have an explicit format for this segment. <laughs> okay. But uh, I don't know, two or three games that kind of stuck out to you. We can kind of go around the circle. Okay. Do you wanna, you wanna take this off, Armand? Yeah. So I'll go with. I want to highlight uh, local Toronto fave, um, the Gloom Collective. They oh, had yeah. their game has been announced for a while, but Bravery Network. Um, it's kind of like an online Pokemon battler with. Um, uh, with some colorful characters, I think they're all human, but like the yeah. setup is pretty similar. Um, the 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 visuals are incredible. Like it's um, it's so stylistic. Yeah, and it. it's going to be like an online. So you're going to be going your your team will go up against another team, um, and they've been working on it for like a couple years now. If I'm not mistaken, um, I believe so. Yeah, we had Taylor by Wu. Yeah, um, on on the show uh, yeah. a couple months ago. Yeah, so the. Um, Bravery Network, it was great to see them in the PC showcase. That trailer is a lot of fun, worth checking out. Um, And then I'm just going to steal it. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 looks amazing. I blew my... Like, I don't know why they didn't show gameplay, because apparently there's, like, they did that whole backstage... Yeah, they had a full demo. Yeah. Yeah. With a character creator. With a character creator. I want to know about the character creator. Anytime there's a character creator, I, I feel kind of almost let down when they're like yeah well soul calibur's coming out this year but everyone's like but is there going to be a character creator does, though, in my so. house i don't know if, <laughs> yeah i don't know if soul calibur is a character creator or not if it doesn't i'm not interested anymore yeah <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the general feeling in my household too. <laughs> yeah it's i mean character creators like they can be their own game in themselves almost true yeah i Spore. think somebody actually said Spore that. Spore is once. a video game that's just a character creator <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, that, that game has incredible visuals. Um, all the reports about it, it seems like the thing anyone could talk about. I am That game probably won't be ready until 2020, um, but I am super psyched to see whatever. I didn't finish The Witcher 3, but I'll probably also not finish Cyberpunk 2077, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to give it that, that first 10 hours. Can't yes. wait to not finish. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Phoenix? What are a couple of games you thought were really, really cool? Uh, I would say... Uh... You can pick more than two or three. You okay. can say, just go crazy. There was a few. Go hog wild. Um, I would say uh, one of them for sure for me was Ghost of Tsushima. Mm-hmm. Uh, and specifically because I I was actually taken aback by it. The, the, the last time that they had announced it at E3, I did not really know what it was going to be about. I didn't really have that much... Um, interest in it originally and then this year when we actually got to see some of the gameplay and what the environment was going to be like I kept thinking like this feels like so much bigger than some open world games that I've played recently and uh, it's got such a specific lighting that I usually used to see when I lived in BC on a Gulf Island whenever there was a huge storm front coming in and it was just about coming there that was kind of the same kind of lighting that they captured so it immediately for me kind of like not just like both in a nostalgic way but also just in a like you know we're setting the scene it's going to look like this it had such a specific feel right away for me and then and then um, when all the ominous stuff started happening it was just kind of like oh yeah well I already knew something was going to be happening because it just I don't know. It just had an immediate feel to mm-hmm. it, so it sets a good tone. What, yeah. el- what else? What else looked cool to you? Looked cool to you. Whew, talking's hard. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I guess I, I did like what I saw of Beyond Good and Evil too, although there was no gameplay. So it was again one of those. Things we we like, saw. Yeah. We were talking about before the show. We saw very little gameplay this year, like mo- less than we even usually see at E3, which is which is frustrating, particularly for games like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven for Beyond Good and Evil two, which are likely yeah. in a state. Where they have gameplay. I would assume. I mean, especially uh, after E3 2017 when they they had a really short video, I think. I don't know if it was Ubisoft that put it up or if it was another channel, but mm-hmm. it was talking with the creative director and he was showing a demo of like the monkey or something um, outside of an airship. And then they were like, yeah, look at the scale of this statue um, versus the, money, the monkey character. Yeah. and. And I kept thinking, like, well, you have that at least, so why didn't we get to see? Something. And then there was, like, very short snippets that they showed of, like, some of the other characters going through the city, I think. Mm-hmm. But that was it. That was kind of all we got. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Beyond Good and Evil looks like one of those games that, like, totally... Every time I see it, it looks stunning. Like, it's just, hey, you got these these characters look great. This world looks exciting. Um, I just I have no idea what that is as a video game. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I can't really tell. Like, I love the, I love the cast. They seem really, I don't know. The cast seems really um, vibrant and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like beyond that, and knowing that uh, I, I never got to play the first game, but it just felt like you could tell that there was a real history to that series. Watching the trailer, and mm-hmm. it was just, it just was kind of a little bit disappointing to be like, oh, but I still don't know what that's gonna, what that's gonna shake out to be like in gameplay. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I guess in terms of gameplay, uh, I could kind of tell right away what Sekiro was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Sekiro, I think that was one yeah. of the that's I mean, that, the that, From that... Software game published by Activision of all people. Yeah, which is weird, but sure, Samurai Dark Souls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. By the way, it's wild that we have three competing samurai games. Yes. <laughs> Sekiro, Ghost of Tsushima, and uh, Nioh 2. 
Or Neo 2. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. I didn't play the first one. Yeah. I think actually one of the directors, I think it was the director for, for Tsushima said, said, I'm so glad that they didn't decide to set Assassin's Creed in Japan. <laughs> and I was like, oh my that's God. That's pretty telling. Yeah. Um, as for myself, uh, we're gonna have a Smash Bros. segment in this episode, and so I will not hold it up, hold, talk about that too much. Um, Just be known that you are you are appreciative I, of the new Smash. I, I do like a Smash. Um, the two games I do want to like kind of touch on for a second, uh, even though there was no gameplay for it, Wolfenstein Youngbloods is exactly what I want out of a video game. Wolfenstein one the, or the remake of Wolfenstein was like kind of hit me really hard. It is a game about a Jewish soldier fighting Nazis, and that felt really good for me. It's also, yeah. it and I say this every time, Wolfenstein, uh, Wolfenstein the New Order, I think it's called. Uh, yeah, Wolfenstein the New Order is the, uh, is, has the best concentration camp sequence in video games. Oh, wow. Uh, it's really, really good. That is maybe one of my favorite levels in video games. Uh, Wolfenstein 2 was also very good. It had a couple missteps mechanically, um, but uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood is a game about two, about like, B.J. Blazkowicz's two uh, twin daughters fighting Nazis in occupied Paris in the 80s. That's an incredible Sounds concept. That's a very good high concept. And it just looks that the 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 style that they've chose, which is basically like action punk, from, yes. is such a great fit for both Wolfenstein and the the setting the setting and era that they've chose to put that in. Yeah, I'm again, unfortunately, we got no gameplay, but it looks great. And the other thing, as I brought up earlier, Tunic looks like 100% my jam. It is a cute fox in a Zelda game, and that is what I'm here for and what I want. And I really hope it's on Switch. And they're from Halifax. They I are believe. Canadian. It's well, He's from Halifax. It's yes. a one-person development team. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that look cool, but that such as E3, there are probably there will probably be a game this year that I did not see that'll come out in a year and a half, and I'll be like, "Wow, this like, is great! How did it just come out of nowhere?" Yeah. <laughs> but well, such is the way of E3. Yeah. I mean, thanks, Dan, for preparing all this. Um, but now we have to to settle a score. We really have to solve a duel that's been ongoing and yeah. between us and, and a secret foe. Yes, it's time we uh, duel over a dreaded scoundrel, Waluigi. You're listening to Built to Play. I'm Ramon Igbali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. So, Phoenix Sims will be back with us in a moment, but instead, right now in this room, we have Justin Chandler from CGRU's comic book show, Radio Free, Radio Free Krypton. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, um, Built to Play and Radio Free Krypton had a little bit of a Twitter tiff over the new Super Smash Bros. Um, game for the Nintendo Switch. And in particular, we were arguing over a character that is actually not in the game, um, Waluigi. And Dan, I'm going to throw this one to you. What the hell is a Waluigi? Waluigi is a lanky sports criminal who does not deserve the love he has received. <laughs> he's right. an evil Luigi. Okay. He's, he, he besmirches the good name of the green plumber. Uh, Justin, is there anything you'd like to add to what, what is a Luigi? Uh, I mean, that that's pretty accurate. Waluigi um, has some great... I mean, I, I feel like Waluigi was better on GameCube. I can't think of really any good Waluigi appearances on Wii. Um, or in DS recently, but in playing GameCube at my friend's house, if we play Mario Party and you're playing as Waluigi, you can hit a button and he'll go, you're lousy, whenever someone else is walking across the board. Um, so basically I just spam that the entire time I play. Um, Waluigi in Mario Strikers is fun. He does this motion where he appears to direct people to his balls whenever he scores. Um, probably not okay for a Nintendo game, but they did it anyway. That's definitely the only, like, 
implication ever in any Nintendo game that people have genitals, yeah. right? Like, it's the only time a Mario game has ever hinted towards the concept that there is genitalia. Well, I'm glad we end up in this part of the discussion. Um, it was going to happen anyways. <laughs> Waluigi. That was a very good Waluigi, by the way, Justin. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The, I mean, the, physically, he's like a he's a he's basically like lanky Luigi with a uh, like a spiky mustache, has a purple hat, kind of crazy eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Justin. He wasn't included in the new Smash Bros. The one that's been announced, Smash Bros. Ultimate, Super mm-hmm. Smash Bros. Ultimate, for the Nintendo Switch. Um, why why should he have been in in the new Smash Brothers? Well, I, I honestly, I didn't think about it until I started seeing people posting about it online. Um, and the whole thing for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is we've got everybody. Everybody's here. And people were saying, all right, you've got all these people, basically the whole Mario family, except we're missing Waluigi. Um, and he is a prominent Nintendo character that they didn't feature. So my feeling was just like, why not? I'm all about getting bang for your buck. I know um, they said in the Nintendo Directs, like, don't expect too many new characters because we're bringing everyone back. But my perspective was like most of these characters were DLC in Smash 4 already. I got to play a lot of them. I've never got to play Waluigi. So uh, I thought it would be fun. Daniel, why shouldn't he be in, in the, new, the new Smash Bros? First and foremost, I feel like, and, and I, will, I will display this momentarily, Waluigi is well represented in this game. He has an assist trophy, which, which is a lot. It's better than the stickers a lot of you look on Brawl. He is a color choice for both Mario and Luigi, which gives him twice as much representation as the color choice of, say, um, a Shadow the Hedgehog. And perhaps most notably, he, again, inspires people to think of Mario's genitalia and an evil Luigi. And Luigi is a pure, innocent soul, and I will not stand for this. This seems like the game that if anyone knows, they know what Super Smash Brothers is. But what is a Super Smash Bros.? Uh, Super Smash Brothers is Nintendo's crossover multiplayer action platformer fighting game. Uh, it tends to be tends to manifest itself when you're playing with your friends as a four-player free-for-all with Nintendo-themed items on Nintendo-themed stages with Nintendo characters and now also Cloud and Ryu uh, and Mega Man. But uh, it is occasionally used to settle honorable disputes of war in a one-on-one battle. Uh, on a specific set of stages with very few items, and nobody likes it when you play Cloud. <laughs> yeah, and it's unconfirmed, but this is actually what Trump and Kim Jong-un did to reach that nuclear agreement. Yeah, <laughs> they did settle it in Smash, as the old Nintendo commercials declared. Well, we have a Smash Brothers uh, copy of Smash Brothers 4 for the Wii U. It may be the last game this Wii U ever plays. It um, is definitely heaving right now. You can't quite hear it, but it, it was not a fan of loading this disc. But by God, it will die with a purpose. So Dan, Justin, get to your controllers. The purple Mario, or the Waluigi. You are playing Robin, who is a very fun character. Big fan of Robin. And uh, we're just going to take this to the random stage select. Okay, Smashville it is. This is a, this is a classic Smash uh, Smash Bros. 4, Smash 4, Smash 4 Wii U tournament stage. Do you usually play Mario, or is this just... This is... I played a lot of Mario, uh, sort of towards the middle part of the game. I watched a lot of players like uh, Ally, who's the uh, Canadian Evo champion. Uh, and uh, Anti, who is a very good player from New York who played a lot of Mario. And I like that he's kind of a very combo-heavy, ground-game character. 
Uh, but Toon Link is perhaps what, what what we would call my main. Okay. Interesting. So some of the like quicker, a little squishier characters. Yeah, I'm definitely a uh, fast character fan, except for Ike. And the one thing I hate about Robin in 1v1s is you never have time to charge Thoron. Oh, yes. So you can give up the ledge guard opportunity to do that. But of course, yeah, that's uh, usually a bad idea. Dan, stop giving tips away to our rivals. <laughs> I mean, I think what, what's happening, right, is I, you guys never really confirmed this, but my understanding was that if I win, Nintendo's actually going to put in a... Yes. Uh, that's Luigi, the plan. Right? Yeah, that is actually the plan. We will send a letter to our close personal friend, uh, Hiroshi Yamauchi's ghost. <laughs> he's been at least once he's been on our show at least once a year at least once a year and we feel like we can kind of leverage that relationship oh, oh that was bad oh you're back it's fine smash <laughs> has magnet hands and that's it that Ooh. is it i'm sorry waluigi the last waluigi this is uh this has been your ceiling fate waluigi mario in your skin wearing waluigi's wearing skin waluigi's skin has <laughs> taken the win really waluigi's skin would be a little droopy a on little mario. droopy on mario certainly these clothes are definitely not the right size for <laughs> waluigi well, well played i guess well, i'll yeah. have to wait until uh the next nintendo yeah. console we'll have to wait, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll have to wait until the the wii u2 yes uh where we'll experience smash 6 uh a game with only waluigi well, the, the smash <laughs> app game when yes put it on yes mobile. of course smash for <laughs> mobile starring waluigi as the mate protagonist yes i mean you guys just what you, you ha i think we've settled this score when it comes to like whether or not waluigi the the, the terrible dastardly son of a of the of a bad god, I maintain a lanky sports criminal. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've settled this score. What do you actually want now that we confirm that Waluigi is not going to be in this game? What do you actually want from Smash uh, Smash Brothers Ultimate, the new one that's coming out? That's going to be out like hopefully by the end of the year. Next, sorry, by the start of next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, well, the big thing for me that I am really excited about with this Smash, and I feel like Nintendo is really hit and miss with this, is sometimes Nintendo's great with backwards compatibility and with allowing people to use all different controllers and things, and sometimes they're really bad. Um, and I feel like Smash is a game where they've been consistently good at letting lots of people play and about giving you like good bang for your buck. Like This isn't one of those things where they're releasing a game that they already put out on Wii U, on Switch, and they're charging you $80 and including all the DLC. Like It looks like they're actually putting in some effort to make these new characters. They're letting you use um, existing controllers with GameCube. They're keeping in eight-player Smash. And I think like for me, as someone who plays games but more casually, that's really important. Because if I'm making a big investment in a game, I actually want to be able to use all the features and not have to buy like five new controllers. Yeah, I think that was a really big thing about Smash 4. Like you look at the back of this box that we have here and it has an ungodly amount of controller permutations. Yeah. Like there's a gamepad, you can use a Wiimote, you can use a Wiimote and an Unchuck, you can use a Wii U Pro Controller, you can use a Wii Pro Controller, you can use a GameCube controller, like yeah, you can use a 3DS. Yeah. Like there, there's an extraordinary amount of things. I, I'm, I, I hope the 3DS controls come back. I, I doubt they will, but it would be nice if they do. Um, I think for me, and I, I am a person who plays, tends to play a lot of, I do play a lot of Smash with, with like large groups of people with four player and eight player modes. Um, but I do play a lot of like 1v1 online stuff. But honestly, what I, what I like the most about Smash is the characters who they bring in. I like it when a new character shows up. And while I am anti-Waluigi, I will say if they bring Waluigi in as a cool character, I'd be down. That'd be great. I will break the kayfabe. But the, um... I, I, Nintendo kind of, this has come out to not be quite as true as it seems. For a while, it looked like Nintendo had announced 65 characters and there were going to be 66. Now it seems like that's not quite the case. But I'm just thinking about 
there really isn't a show-stopping reveal Nintendo has in their pocket for this game at the moment, right? Like, when they announced Snake, when they announced Cloud, like, these are all third-party characters. But what Ridley was the last first-party character who I think a lot of people have strong emotions about. I personally would love to see the characters from ARMS in here. I would love to see a lot of older, obscure Nintendo characters. But they aren't the showstoppers that give you a big name. And so what this game, I think, really, or what Nintendo really needs is a big name that says, like, hey, just like Cloud was, just like Sonic was, just like Snake was, like, this is something we can put on the cover of this game or, you know, in all the advertising that tells you you want it. And I think that that man is Goku. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that first is, party property. I think Goku is going to be in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. That, I mean, that would be and, a and hell of a choice. I, that's where I stand. I stand. I stand with Goku and against Waluigi. See, I fear that it's actually going to be Super Saiyan Birdo. And that's, oh yeah, <laughs> that it'll just be like Birdo with a really long haircut. I, I support Birdo in this game as well. Oh, Birdo is excited. Playable Toad. Playable Toad. Has he never been in a Smash before? I mean, he is a meat shield for Princess Peach. Yeah. Okay. Her down B is shoving Toad in front of you to take the hit. Oh, okay. Oh, the other thing this game could use was, um, I think Smash. No, it was Brawl that had a tourney mode, um, where you could and a rotation mode, mm. and they took both those out in Smash Four. Um, and I wish that they still had that because even for eight player Smash, it's nice to have that built in tournament bracket. Yeah. And I think that was a loss when they moved that out. It was, it, it's definitely nice to have if you're having a lot of people over. There, again, there's a lot of features. I think that the biggest thing that Smash 4 doesn't have that people kind of miss is a single player, some amount of single player yeah, content. Um, I don't think Subspace Emissary is particularly good, but I also understand that people enjoy it. I like, mean, it's really funny. It's very funny. The cutscenes are hilarious. The gameplay is not fun, but the cutscenes are hysterical. And then Melee has the adventure mode. Even the 3DS has the smash run mode. And uh, I, I don't believe this has anyone. And and I feel like the Switch as a like genuinely portable console should have something for you to do when you're you're on the bus playing Smash Bros. Yeah. No, definitely that would help. All right. I think that's 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 an, uh, a lot of smash discussion it was basically all nintendo talked about this year so i'm, I'm glad we got that we got that just here just like nintendo spent 25% of e3 talking about smash brothers we too have to spend 25% of this podcast talking about smash brothers and 2% of that talking about goku it's the law it's the law justin before you head out um where can people find you i'm on twitter at mr_lois_lane and you can find my podcast radio free krypton um, at RF Krypton on Twitter, and we interview creators, talk about comics. Uh, yeah, like and subscribe on iTunes. From CGRU, this has been Built to Play. I'm Ramnik Bali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. You can follow us on Twitter at Built to Play or visit our website, builttoplay.ca. Or you can find us on Facebook. But hey, if you really like the show, be sure to tell a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It can really help us out. Or send us an email at builtplayshow at gmail.com. It'd be great to hear from you. Phoenix, where can people find you? On Twitter for now, uh, and also at thirdperson.space. All right. Um, cool. Uh, you can follow me personally at Flarkon. That's F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N. And I'm at Daniel underscore Rosen. And remember, Waluigi is a terrible sports criminal. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.